Hello there. Welcome to another Breakthrough Research Podcast episode. I'm Marjorie da Costa Abreu. I am a senior lecturer in artificial intelligence at the computing department, and I'll be hosting today's episode. The Breakthrough Research Podcast is supported by the Industry and Innovation Research Institute at Sheffield Hallam University, and we are going to give you an insight into the work that we do. On your lunch, in the morning or evening, we want to be there on your break. Screams down and tune in to learn so much more about not only new and exciting research, but also the journeys behind the researchers themselves. Today, we have the pleasure of receiving Professor Malcolm Clench, and he's a professor of mass spectrometry, and he's currently the head of the Biomolecular Sciences Research Center, which is one of the very cool research centers under the Industry and Innovation Institute. So I know nothing about spectrometry, so I'm very excited to learn a lot. In order to comply with social distancing, we are making the recordings by digital platform with simple equipment and what we have at home. Because we are all at home, you might listen background noise and help from young children or pets. So the episode you are listening to now was recorded on the 24th of February, 2021. So Malcolm, welcome. Welcome to the Breakthrough Research Podcast. Thank you very much, Marjorie. Thank you for the invitation. So, so we, are, we always start, start with the same question because we always like to know, you know, the person behind the big names that we have uh, in Sheffield Holland Universe. So what path led you to your current work and working in Sheffield Holland? Yes, I did my first degree in, in Sheffield, uh, then PhD in Manchester after working in the paper industry for a bit. I, I did first degree then worked as a practicing analytical chemist, uh, analyzing chemicals that were used actually to make both sheep and paper waterproof. Uh, then that company got in a bit of financial trouble and I was looking for other options. So during my first degree, I was, did it as a sandwich degree and I was really lucky to get a placement working in forensic mass spectrometry uh, using the technique to analyze post-explosive uh, debris and looking for residues of the explosives that had been used in, in the actual gun. And I got very interested in the technique. It was such a powerful technique. So when the company I was working for started to struggle a bit, I looked around and I saw that there was a PhD advertised in Manchester as a research assistant rather than as a student. So I was actually still going to get paid. So it was going to you know, attract several of my interests, which was moving back to the north to be with the current girlfriend at the time, uh, earning money, which is always of interest to all of us, and carrying on with mass spectrometry. So I took that PhD and, and that kept, kept me on the sort of mass spec path where I've stayed on ever since. Excellent. Wow. This is, well, it, it sounds very, you know, straightforward. So it, it sounded that you didn't really have a lot of, you know, uh, 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 barriers to go through uh, in order to, to come back to Sheffield Holland. Excellent. Can you explain to our uh, listeners what mass spectrometry is? Yes, it's a way, it's a method of analysis. So it's a way of characterizing 
atoms and molecules. So we actually, it's very large pieces of instrumentation, which put simply measure the mass of an atom or a molecule. And by using the, the mass that we measure, we can identify it. And the signals that we get also have an intensity. And depending on the intensity of those signals, gives us some quantitative information as well as to how much of that atom or molecule is there. It's, it's one of the two, really the two most powerful of the analytical techniques that we have for characterizing uh, particularly molecules, both what you'd think of as chemical molecules, but also increasingly biologicals, uh, looking at tissue and looking at some changes in tissue, which is the bit that I've, I've become interested in. Excellent. So uh, from what you explain, you can you can apply this to literally any anything that, you know, exists because you are dealing with molecules. Can you expand more of what kind of areas you mentioned that in your PhD you work with paper, uh, but uh, what other areas of application you have worked on uh, using mass spectrometry? Sure. So the, as I say, we started off really in, in mass spec with the explosives and then the, the PhD was much more biologically focused. So I was working on uh, primarily a technique called fast atom bombardment. So to give your, the listeners the sort of picture, we'd actually uh, accelerate atoms of argon uh, up to high energy and shoot them at a surface and then look at what we could knock off the surface and measure the mass of the things that we were knocking off the surface. So the thing that was different was up until that point, which was the early 1980s, the te technique had primarily been used to analyze very small molecules. Uh, so things that you could easily get into the gas phase, uh, things that were quite volatile. Whereas with the firing the atom stream at surfaces, you could start to look at biologics. So uh, the work that I was doing culminated in looking at what are called haemoglobinopathies. So these are changes in uh, a person's haemoglobin that can lead to disease state. So the one that maybe listeners would have heard of is sickle cell anemia. So sickle cell anemia where uh, certain people have a, a trait that makes it difficult for them to bind oxygen because their haemoglobin is altered and that leads to you know a, a lassitude and can lead to early death and it turns out that that what sickle cell anemia is due to is a change in one amino acid in one of the subunits that make up the protein haemoglobin that's in blood and that affects its ability to actually bind oxygen and move it around the body. So, yeah, my, my PhD culminated in a study of different types of, of haemoglobin. Uh, and it got me, moved me from my first degree, which was pure chemistry, into an interest in this work where we apply advanced chemical techniques to biological problems. And, and really since then I've worked at this sort of life science interface between chemistry and biology. Even after my PhD, when I, I moved over into the scientific instrument industry for, for a period and I was working, building and designing mass spectrometers. Uh, I did that for sort of seven years 
over in Manchester after, straight after the PhD. But even then, we were always thinking, you know, how can we apply this technique to the to the life sciences? How can we make it more applicable? And as I say, and that's really the area that I've stayed in, uh, just because it's so interesting. I mean, there's, you know, the reason why do you do that? Because it's really interesting. Excellent. Wow, it, it sounds very interesting. But you you uh, mentioned a lot of you know uh, physics terms. So I would like to know how did you decide to go into a chemistry degree in the first place? You know, did you realize you would have to deal with this amount of uh, basic knowledge? And uh, how much do you need to know? You know, do you need to be able to be able to understand in regards to biology, chemistry, and physics in order to work with mass spectrometry? So I'm of the opinion that in the end, there's only science. So we tend to get pushed down these routes of identifying ourselves as chemists or biologists or physicists. But as you move further through it, you find that all of the disciplines join up again. And certainly in, in modern science, in order to actually, I mean, certainly in the life sciences area where I am now, to, to actually pursue the sort of agenda that we have for advancing the understanding of biological processes, then we need to use these advanced techniques, which means we have to bring in the physics, we have to bring in the chemists, and we have to bring in a lot of software, we have to bring in artificial intelligence, what's called bioinformatics, which is handling large data sets and using computing to interpret them. So I, I think, yeah, I don't know whether people will feel this is good news or bad news, but, but I think the news is that whatever the discipline you start out and the path you start out on in the end you'll come back to being a scientist and you'll have to start to under go back and re-understand the chemistry and the biology and the physics and some of the maths that you did earlier in in your education i, I think it's a good thing it, it's constant challenges it keeps you keeps you interested completely agree i i, I would i would say even more that um we are we are uh, now uh, within the understanding that uh, research is interdisciplinary as well as as it, it is never has never been clear that we need you know all the people to collaborate as well you know in order to be able to work uh, across all these uh, subjects as as you mentioned but i completely agree that you know we learn in a way at school uh, looking them the different subjects in, in, in separated you know areas and then uh, if you go further enough in in the academic career let's call it like this you end up seeing them all together because they are as you said just science isn't it yeah, yeah exactly I mean you will have still have your own subject specialism you will be an expert in an area and in a field but you'll you'll need to work with other experts and and you'll need to have you know, at least a good basic level of understanding of what all those people are doing in order to be able to communicate in the the large interdisciplinary project teams that actually carry out modern science. You know, it's, it's crucial. Very cool. And you mentioned that uh, mass spectrometry, it sounds very expensive. Uh, I have two questions for you. How expensive it is, you know, nowadays and how old is the technology? Now, how long, how long back can you could you use, you know, mass spectrometry? Okay, so the first mass spectrometers were developed, uh, in fact, in the early 1900s, uh, as people started to become interested in, in characterizing atoms. 
however, the technique really took off and started to be more widely used uh, during the Manhattan Project, during the development of the atomic bomb. And then after World War II, became more used for the analysis of organic materials, yeah, molecules rather than for elements for the atomic side of things. So, and that was driven by the oil industry. It was being used to characterize crude, crude oils uh, and, and separate them into classes. Uh, so if we move past World War II, maybe into the 50s and 60s, then start to become more of a mainstream analytical technique uh, being used, you know, in things like pesticide analysis, uh, um, starting to be used in pharmaceutical industry. And, but then the big change and the big sea change happened in about the, the 19, 1980s to 1990s. And so there were the two new techniques that developed. So to actually use this technique, you have to turn your atoms or molecules from being a neutral species and you have to put a charge on them some way. So you have to turn them from being neutrals to being ions, we call them, you have to make them charged. Uh, and that, before that period, that could only be done for small molecules. But I was saying for my PhD, we shot heavy atoms at surfaces to actually make the species charged. And then in, towards the, in the, in the 1980s, a couple of techniques were developed. One where you fire high energy lasers at surfaces to ionize things. And the other one where you actually spray liquids with a large voltage on the spray. So you create a spray by putting a large voltage on a needle. And then when you pass the liquid through the needle, which has got say 4,000 volts on it. And when I say a needle, I mean like literally like a syringe needle. Yep put 4,000 volts on it with a crocodile clip and a big power supply. If you do that, then the liquid actually sprays out the end rather than drips out the end. And they call that electrospray because it's done with an electric field. And it's found that both of those techniques enable the ionization, enable you to put charges on very large molecules. So on biological molecules. And as soon as the technique could be used for biological molecules, it exploded. So uh, it went from being, you know, in terms of who does mass spectrometry. So it, in before the 1980s, it would have been sort of slightly obscure physicist down the end of the corridor that no one ever goes to talk to, to it being one of, you know, one of the main workhorse analytical techniques where all companies that are doing chemical or biological analysis have multiple instruments. So to answer the, the other question, how much uh, it's, it ranges so you can get a little instrument that fits into a shoebox, uh, which will do a lot of the work, but might have quite limited performance. And that will cost maybe 20, 30,000 uh, pounds. But you could still go and buy the ultra high performance instrument, uh, which will be the size, let's say, of a fridge freezer, or maybe two fridge freezers joined together. And that will set you back about 1.2, 1.3 million. Yeah. Uh, the, but the instruments are so powerful that if you go, say, to one of your pharmaceutical companies, they'll have 20, 30, 40, 50 instruments. Yeah. Uh, because 
the investment is worth it in terms of the return for, for what the data that you get. Sounds very, very exciting. Uh, even though the technology is quite old, as you mentioned, uh, it seems that um, you, after, you know, the, the understanding that you could, you know, go analyze biological uh, material, uh, it became very popular. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's been, there's been huge advances in the technology. I think that's, that's what, so this ability to analyze biologics required and biologicals required major technological advances. So uh, maybe many of the listeners might have done uh, chemistry A-level uh, and up until very recently with, within the chemistry A-level syllabus, they'd have taught a little bit of mass spectrometry and they talked about separating ions using magnets. And that was the technology that was invented around in the end of the 1900s, yeah, the beginning of the 20th century. But now in the 21st century, no one would do it using a magnet. They're hardly used at all. So, you know, it's all electric fields uh, and, and, and that's moved the, the technique on a lot, yeah. And as I say, and this ability to ionize large molecules and different molecules is, is, is only really very recent. Yeah, uh, even, even 2019, another new technique was developed for this ionization that changes what we described as the coverage of the technique, you know, the range of molecules that you can actually see and, and measure. Uh, and it, it just keeps advancing. So the, the field hasn't, hasn't been static. It just seems that there's every five or six years there's some major advance which which it spreads its coverage and increases the amount of things that you can do so for my own work i mean the big change has been imaging so we've gone from just simply measuring masses uh to being able to create images of the distribution of molecules on a surface and in particular for the work that i've done this has been biological tissue so we could actually take a section of a, say for example, a tumor. Uh, we can put the microscope slide that's got that section it on. So that might, you know, traditionally in a pathology lab that would have gone into a microscope and the pathologist looks at it and characterizes what's going on in the tumor based on looking at the optical image. But we can now put that same microscope slide in the mass spectrometer, shoot a laser at it, knock things off the surface, measure the mass of them, and then create a chemical image of the surface of the distribution of different things within the tissue. So that's been the advance, I think. And that's the one that's got sort of got myself the most excited and, and the sort of area that I've pursued for the last 20 years, really. So you, you, you answered my, my next question. So what was your, your favorite aspect of doing this research? But my, my, my other question is, what would be your least favorite aspect of, of this area of research? It's so expensive. Yeah, um, that's, you know, it's... So even after you've bought, you know, if you've managed to get, say, your half a million pounds together, so a good research grade instrument, half a million pounds, but then you've got to keep it running. So, you know, you're still trying to find 50, 60,000 pounds a year, every year to keep, keep it running. So I think what's my unfavorite thing about this area of research, it's the constant hunt for money to keep going. Yeah. 
maybe that's true for all research but when the when the technique technology is so expensive i think it's it's even perhaps even more exaggerated yeah yeah i dare i dare to say that you know in computing is not is not that much difference even no, even though even though we don't really need you know that very expensive equipment, but yeah, getting getting funding is always a challenge. Uh, talking about your experience as an academic, you know, you had experience working in industry and then you you came to academia. So tell me, how how do you feel? Uh, how do you see yourself as being an academic? How how is your uh, the favorite part of you know being an academic and dealing with PhD students and teaching and everything? And then what is your least favorite part of this environment? Yeah, so the favourite part is is the dealing with students. I, I really, you know, I think it's perhaps for nearly everybody in academia. We we really enjoy the energy that comes from working with young people all the time and their enthusiasm and their keenness to learn. It's it's great. It keep, hopefully, it keeps us all young as well. Uh, the least favourite part of being an academic uh, marking. Yeah, I think that's a standard answer. Is <laughs> yeah. I think you could probably do this interview a hundred times with a hundred different academics and what's your least favorite part of being an academic marking <laughs> yes it's just not the most exciting thing that we do yes there is a, there is a variation which is like getting papers rejected and then getting funding rejected as well so it's 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 head and head you know marking with those two those other two but yeah I agree Right, so uh, we are moving towards the end of this very exciting and, and interesting interview. So I have a few more things that I would like you to talk with our listeners. So uh, when you are not working, what is Mal Malcolm doing? Yes, outside of work, I play the guitar. Uh, I've done that. I learned self-taught. So uh, started playing when I was about 13, 14. I've carried on. Uh, played in various bands over the years. Uh, the one that I'm playing at the moment is a bit hit and miss. We meet up every few years and make very loud noises and then have a couple of beers and then say, oh, we must do this again in a couple of years. So I do that. And also I'm heavily involved in cricket locally. So uh, I'm level two coach for children. So I coach for Sheffield United Cricket Club, who uh, a partnership, in fact, with Sheffield Hallam, with the cricket club leases a cricket ground over at the University Sports Park on Bultry Road and I run the under-13s team and uh, coach that and, and I'm with that and I'm a member of the committee trying to raise money to keep the club going as well so yes so in terms of raising funding both from a work context and from a, as a hobby as well yes so maybe I don't maybe I don't not, not enjoy it as much as I did yeah so yeah that's me outside of work uh, also obviously family uh, three children, a couple of grandchildren. So they also keep me very busy. Lovely. And then my final question for you, what would you say if our listeners got really excited about your know, mass spectrometry or even working within you know, the Bioscience Research Center? What would you say to them? How to, how to get in touch and how to get involved in the activities that are happening in the uh, research center? Okay, so depending on where, where you are in your career, so keep your eyes open for the various open days that we have. We also are heavily involved in the explore activities of Science Week. So the Biomolecular Sciences Research Center always has multiple stands at the explore event, uh, showcasing various aspects of our work. Uh, if you're interested in mass spectrometry, then you can look at, to get a good idea of what we do, you could go onto YouTube and you can look at the TED lecture, uh, 
that Professor Simona Francesi, one of my colleagues, gave. And she'll talk to you about how we use the same techniques in, in her work. You can just look at the various lectures that have been produced by the manufacturers on biological mass spectrometry. All of that is available via YouTube. Uh, if you've finished your first degree and you're interested in doing a PhD, then look out for vacancies. We'll be advertising another five vacancies in the BMRC this year for PhD students. And there's more come up throughout the year. Uh, for a first degree, then you have to start to think about how, what am I interested in specialising in? And at Sheffield Hallam, within the Department of Biosciences and Chemistry, you can choose from a pure chemistry degree through biochemistry, through to biomolecular sciences, biomedical sciences, right out through to biology at the other end of the spectrum. But I think remember what I said, that if you're intending to carry on into a research career, you will then become multidisciplinary again. So don't shut your mind to the other subjects. Yeah, just, just for everybody to know, the BMRC is what, Michael? Biomolecular Sciences Research Center. Perfect. Excellent. So I think with that, with all the all the options that Malcolm gave, I think if you are interested, please come and talk to us. We can, you know, we, we will make sure that we uh, get you to where you want to be. And I would like, you know, to thank you very much, Malcolm, for, you know, being part of our Breakthrough Research podcast. I think he gave us a very good idea of what he does and the BMRC is doing as well. So uh, that was very, very educational and very interesting. Thank you, Marjorie. Thank you again for the invitation to speak. We hope you enjoyed our break time podcast. Thank you, Malcolm, for joining us. See you next time where we will be meeting with another of our researchers. So, screens down and tune in. You won't want to miss it. Goodbye.